1: It's, uh, it's like the Hunger Games, you know, We are waiting hours outside, in the cold, sometimes with kids, elderly parents.
0: As the Omicron variant rapidly spreads across New York City, Staten Islanders have been thrust into a state of chaos and confusion not seen since the early days of the coronavirus pandemic. In recent weeks, residents have endured hours-long waits for coronavirus tests and reduced city services as a result of staff shortages all while navigating constantly shifting guidance from the CDC and the city and state governments. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance public interest and advocacy reporter Kristen Dalton, to discuss the state of the pandemic on Staten Island as we enter the new year. Thanks for joining me today, Kristen. You know, this is usually a happier time of year with everyone getting to spend some time with their loved ones during the winter holidays. Uh, But unfortunately, this recent COVID surge has forced many families, mine included, to either postpone or alter their plans. But I'm just curious, how were the holidays for you and your family? Were you able to celebrate how you normally would? So
1: it was um, it was a good holiday, but we did um, decide to stay home for both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, we usually do Christmas Eve at my parents' house, but my father is immunocompromised and he had surgery two days before um, and my husband had an exposure at work. So we just didn't think, you know, it would be a good idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. And like I said, we had a similar experience here where... A family member had, in my case, tested positive earlier in the week and then was still in their quarantine. And so they couldn't come. And then why have the whole thing? So we just kind of postponed it. We're going to celebrate another time. Um, But it was definitely weird. For me, it feels almost like Christmas never happened this year because we didn't have our our normal celebration. So it it was a little strange, but uh, I kind of took some solace in the fact that You know, millions of other families are going through the same thing right now. I'm not the only one. Right.
1: And I think that this is definitely one of those instances where it's uh, better to be safe than to be sorry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially around the holidays. So, yeah, in recent weeks, uh, as these case numbers have gone up in New York City and, and across the country and the world, really, uh, due to the Omicron variant, Staten Islanders have been dealing with some excruciatingly long waits to get coronavirus tests. Uh I know I had to deal with this myself. I mentioned a family member tested positive. Um, so I then needed to go get tested. Uh, and the wait at the green belt was a little ridiculous. I mean, I was out there for two hours, it was very cold out. There were people who had said they had already been there for three hours, so it it, it was a long wait, it was it was frustrating, but can you tell us a little more about that situation and, and what you've been hearing from some of the Staten Islanders that you've spoken to?
1: Um, I don't think I've heard from anybody who's waited less than two hours. Uh, the average seems to be about three and a half hours. Um, but it's uh, it's like the Hunger Games, you know, where you're waiting hours outside, in the cold, sometimes with kids. It's been a mess. Every single site, um, you know, it, it appears as though the wait is the greatest in the morning mm-hmm. um, as mid afternoon comes early evening. Um, it does seem to dwindle down. Um, but still, I mean uh, at least, at least two hours in most cases.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting that it, it it's the busiest in the morning, which I've noticed as well in the times that I've gone to go get tested. But I think everyone's idea is like, Oh, I'll just be one of the first ones there and then I can get tested first and then I'll be done with it. But when everybody has that same mentality, you've got people showing up at these sites, you know, an hour before they open. In some cases, I know at the Greenbelt, one of the guys, I was waiting in line. Someone came there and they were like, "How long's the wait?" And he was like, "Uh, two or three hours." He was like, "Uh, well, what if I come back tomorrow?" And the security guard told him like, "Well, you'll probably want to get here at least an hour early because other people are doing the same thing, and you're just going to end up lining up." And so, it's it's that, and then also. Like we mentioned with the cold weather right now, you've got people who are waiting outside for multiple hours in this cold weather and then potentially just getting a common cold from doing that, like being outside in the cold. And then they go home they tested negative, but then like they start sniffling because they got a cold because they were waiting out and now they think they have to go get tested again. And it's kind of like this weird, vicious cycle that we've got going on. Right.
1: Right, you know, and it's, it's good if you, you know, if you have somebody that you can kind of tag team with, somebody goes and waits in the car, somebody's online, and you swap off with, but I mean, even that's not ideal, because so many people are working, now somebody else is going to have to take time off from work, and it's just, it's, it's, none of it's ideal.
0: We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisi a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to The Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and... Unfortunately, we've seen that waiting in line for these tests isn't really the only testing-related issue we've been seeing. There's also this mad scramble from residents to get their hands on these at-home testing kits, which we've seen, we've reported before, have been flying off the shelves at pharmacies. Lots of them are sold out already. The city's also giving out free kits, but people are having trouble getting their hands on those too, right? Because of the crazy high demand right now, especially with the holidays. Everyone wants to test before they see family or before they travel or whatever it might be. So, what have you been hearing from Staten Islanders who are trying to track down these at home kits?
1: So, I've been personally calling it the world's worst scavenger hunt. Um, I, experience, I experienced it myself on Christmas Eve um, at the Staten Island Ferry Terminal. Um, I got there at like 8.30 and they started at 9. But, um, you know, I think the problem is, is that um, there are, so there are mobile testing van, uh, mobile vans that have been distributing only test kits. Their only purpose is to show up at a location, distribute the test kits. Um, But then there are other areas like the Staten Island Ferry Terminal and some of the other city run sites where... People were showing up to get test kits, um, but that's not how they were being distributed. They were being distributed in the hopes to reduce the number of people waiting online for in-person tests. So you had one line that, again, hours long, mixed with people who wanted either a rapid test or a PCR test, and then you had the people waiting online to take the at-home test kits. Um, And that you know, that made it a lot worse because now you have people waiting online for hours, um, who were looking to take the test kits and go home instead of going to the locations, you know, where they were just giving out the test kits and people were waiting ten minutes online because it's just one person standing there handing them out and then people are taking them and leaving. Um, and, you know, some of our elected officials did get a number of test kits. I don't know how many they each got, um, but if you're not constantly checking Facebook or Twitter or you know, however else, they're they're telling people you don't know who has them and 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 where they are and how to get them. So it's it's just like you know the the in person testing, the at home testing. Rep, you know, the at home tests have been a mess also, and then you've got. Um, pharmacies that are selling out of them, people buying them and then trying to resell them for a double, triple the price, you know, uh, then you, you got bootleg tests online, you know, on Amazon. And there are a number of, um, and I actually wrote about this last week, a number of FDA approved at home tests, but there are many others that have not been FDA approved or given the emergency use authorization. So when you're buying them from an unknown retailer, uh, you run into that problem too.
0: Yeah, it's it, the at-home thing has been so strange. The reselling part really got me. I saw some stuff on on Facebook of people saying, "selling like you know reselling these kinds of tests and stuff." I'm like, "Are It feels like I'm trying to get a PS5 all over again, <laughs> uh, but with an at-home COVID test. And it, you're right. At some of these sites where they're offering um, rapid mPCR testing and then also handing out the at-home kits, it can get a little hectic, and people are just like not sure even what they want to do. Or it, are you giving the at-home kits only to the the people who aren't getting tested at site. I know when I was at the Greenbelt, some people showed up and the lines for the rapid and PCR testing were so long, they said, I'll just take an at-home kit and I'll do it there. Other people, the line for the rapid test and the PCR test was longer than the line for just the PCR test. So some people said, okay, I'll wait on the shorter line for the PCR test, and then I'll take the at-home kit with me, and I'll use that as my rapid when I get back to the house. So it's just like this whole mess of like different people doing different things, people taking the at-home kits, but then also staying to get tested regularly at the site, and it's just been a a very big, messy situation as the whole world seems to be these days.
1: I mean, when I was when I was at the ferry terminal, um, I was waiting online, and the test and trace core worker was very explicit about the fact that if you are online and you take an at home test kit, you cannot get back on this line.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, see, that is not that was not my experience.
1: You need, you know, that we are giving you this at home test kit to reduce the amount of people online. So, if you take the test kit, you have to get off of the line and they were only as she was saying that they were only going to be distributing them every 45 minutes right so they only had x amount of kits they would give some out wait another 45 minutes give out some more and then and to, to make it worse right so we're all waiting on this line stretched all the way back by empire outlets all the way around then um, the NYPD, who, you know, they, um, they patrol the, the Staten Island ferry terminal. Somebody from the NYPD walked over and yelled, a mobile van just pulled up on the taxi ramp and they're distributing um, rapid tests if anybody wants them. And it was like a stampede.
0: That's amazing.
1: Absolutely insane. It was insane.
0: I love that. Well, so obviously testing capacity is an issue right now here on Staten Island. So what are some of the steps being taken by the city and state governments to increase the supply and cut down on some of these crazy wait times?
1: Right. So, you know, more at home tests was obviously a part of that response. Um, And like I just mentioned, at certain testing sites, they said anybody who was in line to be tested could take the box and leave and this was to reduce the number of people online um but at all levels of government right so city state federal they have all started opening and said there will be more actual test sites whether it's brick and mortar locations or mobile testing vans um opening throughout staten island just this week alone we had um a state, actually, today's Wednesday. The state run site at the Central Family Life Center opened today um, on Wright Street and Wright Avenue in Stapleton. Um, and then on Monday, the testing site at Port Richmond High School opened. Um, but that, as I'm sure you can imagine, is only going to be open this week because January 3rd comes, school starts again, and then they're going to need that building for school. But just for this week, I mean, it is good to have that extra. Testing site. Um, As far as the federal government goes, um, FEMA is opening a bunch of sites throughout the city. They announced three in Queens last week. They said that there is going to be more to come. I'm hoping Staten Island is going to get at least one, um, but they have not said when or where those locations will be yet.
0: Right. And so I know that one thing that you've been struggling with, I've, I've seen you posting about it online, is, is finding testing sites on Staten Island that accommodate younger children. Right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that situation?
1: Sure. So um, there are currently at this moment, there are 10 testing sites on Staten Island. Um, only three of those sites will test children younger than the age of four. Um, Those three sites are all primarily on the North Shore. Um, It's the Staten Island Ferry Terminal. It is the former St. John Villa um, School. And it's also the Gotham Vanderbilt Clinic. Those are the only three sites. Those are the three Staten Island sites run by uh, City Health and Hospitals. And the rest of the locations on Staten Island only do four and older. So... You know, I live on the North Shore, so having the testing sites on the North Shore isn't a problem for me. But, you know, kids in Tauntonville, kids at Mid-Island, you know, if you're not able to go to your pediatrician for whatever reason for a test, um, they have to travel. There's just very limited testing options. And as we already mentioned, the at-home rapid tests are very hard to come by. Um, So if you don't have a rapid test to test your kid, Um, you know, what are you going to do? We were actually all exposed over the weekend and it hadn't occurred to me until that point when I said, okay, where can I go to get my kid tested? Um, that I, that I realized that Staten Island only has three. I looked at all the other boroughs and they've got at least five, um, the other ones, some of them even have like 10 locations for kids under the age of four. Um, Polio actually wrote about this. It went up on SI Live this morning.
0: Yeah, and it's got to be frustrating, too, because when you're dealing with these younger kids, these are also people who are not yet able to get vaccinated, right, because the vaccine has not yet been uh, emergency authorized for that age range. So if you're concerned that your kid might be sick... And they're obviously unable to get vaccinated at this point. You want to get them tested as quickly as possible so you can assess the situation. So having to travel across the island and then having to wait in line and you know, it could end up being a, a three, four hour ordeal for some of these South Shore parents if they're going to have to travel to the North Shore, wait to get tested and travel back. So it's got to be very frustrating. And it definitely feels like a, a bit of a disparity there for a, a whole portion of the borough to just not have access to this kind of testing. So hopefully they'll they'll do something to, to rectify that situation soon. But w- we've also seen that this recent surge of cases has had a, a pretty noticeable impact on on city services, despite Mayor de Blasio kind of downplaying that, saying things are functioning as intended. But I know just on my beat covering transportation that coronavirus cases among city employees and agency employees have resulted in reduced service on the Staten Island Ferry, on the Staten Island Railway. They're running less subways, less buses. Uh, What are some of the other ways that services around the city have been impacted and and what is the administration doing to try to mitigate some of these issues?
1: Um, You know, so I I can't say it's necessarily because of the recent surge in positive cases, but I think it's more of the combination of workers who um, are out sick because they have COVID um, and also the mandates taking place, um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's the combination of those two things that um, is 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 really impacting the workforce. Um, you know, aside from uh, transportation, like you said, we've been hearing about it in schools for months now, you know, that 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 the Department of Education, um, you know, is, you know, hiring people who used to be substitute teachers, asking people who were ever teachers in their life, hey, you know, do you want to work again? We don't have teachers, right? So schools, um, hospitals, and and other healthcare facilities, pharmacies have obviously taken a a big hit. You know, I was um, hospitalized a few times in the the last few months, not for COVID, but I I did spend quite a bit of time in, in one of our local hospitals and almost... I I would say probably close to half of the nurses were all traveling nurses. They weren't even employed, um, you know, by our hospital systems. And I don't think anything is is being done about it. Because like you just said, I mean, de Blasio has really been downplaying all of this and saying, "Nope, everything is working. Everything is fine. We've got it covered. Um, But the people who are living it um, are going to tell you a completely different story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one thing that that could help, uh, and there's some controversy around this to begin with, but we've got these new CDC guidelines, right, that were just announced. Um, this has been one of the most frustrating parts of the pandemic, I think, is that uh, everything is changing every other week. So it's hard to keep track of like what the rules and guidance even are at any given time. But Earlier this week, the CDC announced that it shortened the recommended time that those with COVID and those exposed to the virus are going to have to quarantine. So that's something that could potentially help get workers back quicker. Uh, So maybe that's something that helps there. But then there's been some debate among experts of, you know, certain people might still be contagious after that five day period. And it's just kind of difficult to to kind of make heads and tails of it. But what can you say about this new guidance and how it might affect things moving forward?
1: Right. So the the new CDC guidance says that people should isolate when they've tested positive for um, 10 days um, if they're symptomatic. If they're asymptomatic, only five days. But then for the next five days, they should continue to wear a mask around people. People who were only exposed, regardless of vaccination status, should quarantine for five days and and wear a mask for the additional five. Um, But if people are vaccinated and have a booster shot, they don't need to quarantine at all if they don't have symptoms. Um, And I'm not gonna lie, I find it a bit problematic.
0: This is something, this guidance that'll help workers get back to work quicker right but then kind of the trade-off there is that you're potentially exposing more people to the virus so like which one is it it felt like for a long time our priority was limit spread limit exposure now it's more it feels like it's more like okay well Omicron, people aren't really getting as sick. They're getting infected, but it's not as severe. So maybe we just get people back out there. And, and you know, it, it just it, it feels inconsistent, I think, with with what we've seen throughout it the pandemic. It seems
1: more like a business yeah. decision than a health right, decision.
0: Right, right, which is uh, not necessarily the direction that we want to be going right now. Or maybe it is. I mean, I guess that depends on who you are, right? Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a little frustrating, but... Uh, let's move on. You mentioned the, the Staten Island hospitals. Uh, the spike in cases in the past few weeks has also led to an increase in hospitalizations on Staten Island. Uh, we just wrote an article, um, our colleague, I believe it was Joe Ostapiuk, saying that for the first time since April, the hospitals on Staten Island are treating over 100 COVID patients. We're up to 125 COVID patients. It hadn't been over 100 since uh, late April. So what are you hearing from the hospitals regarding this increased patient load and, and how equipped are they to handle all these new cases that are coming in?
1: Right. So both SIUH and Rumsey maintain that they um, are able to handle what they've got now that it's they're not seeing the volume that they were seeing that last year. Even if there is an uptick in hospitalizations, it's it's not a surge, right? That's what it was last year. It was a surge. It was so many people at once and it was just very overwhelming, right? Where they needed the field hospitals. They they needed to cancel elective surgeries. Um, and even though, you know, we are seeing an increase now, um, we have not had to cancel elective surgeries on Staten Island. Um, they're not needing to utilize their surge capacities where they turn other beds into, you know, COVID beds. Um, and I believe most of the city is kind of in the same
0: boat. Throughout the pandemic, I think students and teachers have been some of the most impacted people in New York, right? So first it was remote learning, then it was a hybrid model. Now all the students are back in the buildings, but many classrooms and in some cases entire schools have been forced to shut down and quarantine due to positive cases among students or staff members. Uh, mayor de Blasio and incoming mayor Eric Adams, though, announced on Tuesday that they're changing some of the rules for the public schools in, hope of, in hopes of kind of having less disruptions to that in-person learning. What can you tell us about this new schools plan and how the, the rules are now going to differ when students come back from winter break?
1: The mayor said that the Department of Education is going to double the amount of PCR testing that they do. Um, and if there is a positive case in a classroom... Um, each child in that classroom is going to take home a box of test kits, the rapid test kits um, for seven days. Negative and again, this is where that, that guidance comes. That new CDC guidance comes back in. Right. Negative and asymptomatic kids can go back to school. They can return to the classroom. Um, and those tests are coming from the state. Governor Kathy Hochul announced this the other day that the state uh, is getting, I think it was like 6 million testing kits um, of which 2 million was gonna go to New York City just to distribute to the schools for this new effort.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that now the the testing that they're doing in school, they're going to include vaccinated students as well. For the longest time, it was only unvaccinated students who were getting tested. But now you're going to have vaccinated students who consent to it as well, because the parents do need to consent to the in-school testing. But you're going to have vaccinated students as well getting tested there, which uh, is a good thing. But then you're also likely going to see an uptick in cases in the schools because you are now testing a higher percentage of the people. I mean, we've seen this all over the world, but I mean, it, it, to use sports as an example, the NBA recently shifted to daily testing, and you know, ninety plus percent of their players are vaccinated, but they're still getting dozens of new tests, you know, on a weekly basis. So, uh, breakthrough infections seem to be a little more common right now with uh, with Omicron, and so uh, it's a good thing, right, that they're going to be testing more people and and kind of spotting these things right away. But I, I would. You know, kind of warn parents not not to be surprised if you do see more positive tests showing up in your child's school in the in the coming year, just because more people are being tested uh, on a regular basis. So we'll we'll have to kind of monitor that and see how it goes. But then, with the new quarantine guidance, you know those positive cases may not have as severe an impact on people because they'll be able to continue going to school as long as they are negative and asymptomatic. So it's interesting what they're doing. And so... As we approach the two-year mark of this pandemic, which feels crazy to say out loud, uh, what is your sense of how things are going to play out in 2022 in the coming year? Obviously, there's a bit of speculation involved here, but are we going to get back to some sense of normalcy, or are we in for another year of these restrictions, mandates, and just endless COVID?
1: You know... I I honestly I have no I have no idea. I've been wrong about everything so far, so I feel like I'm not the best person to ask this question. Um
0: <laughs> I think everyone's been wrong about but everything. But I, I so think far. it's
1: hard to judge for a number of reasons. You know, for most of the pandemic we had Governor Cuomo and we had Mayor De Blasio. Now we have Hochul and we have incoming Mayor Adams. Um and we have a lot of new legislators who were just sworn into office. Yeah. And all of that could is really you know could potentially drastically impact how the next year goes um and then you've gotta consider just plain old human behavior are people gonna keep getting vaccinated are they're gonna be more booster shots are people gonna keep wearing a mask are people gonna keep fighting wearing a mask you know there's there's so much to 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 take into consideration and You know, even the best uh, uh, scientists and healthcare experts can only predict so much. Um, I, I, I think what we will likely see is some kind of ebb and flow like we saw last year where winter months, things were pretty bad right after the holidays, the gatherings, things were higher, things got a little bit better over the summer, people could do more things outdoors, you could gather outdoors. Um, And then there could potentially be another spike next winter. But I think what we do, you know, what we do now between then and now is really going to is going to determine that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It it feels like a guessing game at this point. There's no way to really tell. And so we will have to just hope for the best and plan for the worst, unfortunately, as we've been doing throughout a lot of this pandemic. But thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. It was a pleasure speaking to you as always. And I look forward to having you on again soon, hopefully with a more uplifting topic.
1: (laughs) I would love that.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again. Did you know on March 27th, 1986, the Staten Island Advance published a special centennial edition, which was the largest weekday paper ever published in New York City? Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.